Welcome to The Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to The Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication. And for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Today's topic is the importance of the everyday superhero, and hopefully by the end of the show, you'll be inspired to see your everyday strengths as superpowers that you can use to live your best life. My guest today is published author Christine Kibbe. Christine is a Pacific Northwest writer with an affection for all things literary. Christine's passion for creative writing began in her early youth and led her to the doors of Washington State University, where she studied in the professional writing program. Christine followed her scholarly pursuit of writing by publishing works in numerous magazines and literary reviews, as well as publishing several novels. What you'll learn in this episode is the importance of the everyday heroine in young adult fantasy literature, the original purpose behind telling fairy tales and their relation to fae lore, and insight into the current dynamics of the publishing world and how they affect women writers. So you definitely don't want to miss this. It's an awesome conversation. 
Uh, you can find more information and links as well as this week's giveaway at wellwomanlife.com slash one two one show. And I'd love to hear from you if you listen to this show every week or if you are new to the show. I'd love to uh, see you in the Facebook group, wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. And it's really in there that we can um, talk openly about, you know, our challenges and uh, reflect and respond to the content of the podcast. So would love to see you there, wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. And very exciting news, save the date, September 9th for the Well Woman Life Retreat in New Mexico. We have a beautiful location. You are going to love it. And this is combined with the September 10th Leadership Summit. So it's a two-day deal, and we're going to have info um, out about this soon, but definitely save the date. And if you want to be on the list to uh, to get the information about this right away, um, just email us, info at wellwomanlife.com. And uh, we'll make sure you're on the list to get the information about the retreat and the leadership summit. Um, and you can always visit wellwomanlife.com slash events for more information about all things well woman. Um, I'm super excited because I'm about to take off with my kiddos to Washington, D.C. We are uh, headed out to the East Coast for, uh, I'm speaking at a conference on work and life, work and life. It's the work, what is it called? Work and Family Research Network. Um, it's their annual conference in Washington, D.C., and it brings a ton of national and international folks together who are all working on work and family issues. Um, that's one of my favorite topics. If you didn't know this about me already, I love, love talking about work-life balance and what we as individuals and, and in the community and at the policy level can do to improve um, the lives of women and families as it relates to sort of juggling their, their personal life and their professional life. So um, anyway, we're taking off to that. And so I have their little suitcases out. We're getting packed. Um, I'm taking the kids with me because my husband has a conference at the exact same time somewhere else. So, um, and he usually is the one that stays with the kids when I run off to all these things all over the world. So uh, this time I'm taking the kids with me so he can go to his conference and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do the Smithsonian's and uh, just have a, have a hoot in DC. And then we're going to jet up to New York as well. So um, I'll be sort of uh, in and out of uh, um, communication on a daily basis, I guess, with, with all the travel. But, um, but we'll definitely be producing the show for you so that that'll come out every week. Um, without further ado, here is the interview with Christine Kibbe. Welcome to the program, Christine. Thank you, ma'am. Um, Christine, you have, you are a writer and we heard in the introduction a little bit about your background. Can you tell me what you're working on and how it impacts women and girls? Sure. Uh, right now, what I'm working on and what, what's most recently been released is a, a young adult fantasy trilogy. Um, 
kind of uh, surrounds these two girls who uh, wander across an abandoned town. And uh, in trying to investigate what exactly has happened to the townspeople that, that disappeared there over a century ago, they wander upon this uh, kind of den of these evil changeling fairies and adventure ensues from there, as you might imagine. Um, but specifically, I, I kind of set out with, with this particular series to cast an everyday heroine. And that's kind of how I think it relates back to the current climate of women's issues uh, in that. I don't know, it, you know, there's just a lot of fantasy out there right now that is promoting these, what I feel are kind of unachievable images of women. Um, you know, I don't have any friends that, that have a magic lasso. Uh, I don't know anyone who's been saved by a sparkly vampire. I just know a lot, a lot of everyday people that really can make it work if they have stick to And that's kind of how I tried to set up my heroine and her best friend in this, in this series is to, to present readers with a couple of gals that are just ordinary everyday gals, but with pluck and determination and the fierceness of their friendship they kind of make it through all these trials you know not because they're magical or they're you know have some kind of ancestry that links them to a radioactive spider and they have powers and whatnot they're just normal girls who, who really are are dedicated to making it work and and I think that needs to be presented more in young adult literature yeah, so you think that it's actually um, doing a disservice for young to, for young women to only hear about heroines that have sort of superhuman powers. Right, because I mean, you know, it's, I'd like to be able to present something that's achievable. I mean, I, I love fantasy, don't get me wrong. I'm a fantasy buff. I love to go off into the yonder and just imagine all these fantastical things. But at the same time, it's nice to be able to identify more closely with someone, you know, I mean... Just, you know, I, hurrah, hurrah for, for, you know, Wonder Woman and all that great stuff. And I think that promotes a lot of empowerment. But even when I, you know, see and read these things, I'm just I'm presented with women that I think I could never be that, you know, mm -hmm. I could never achieve that because I don't have those powers. I don't have those capabilities. So I just wanted to give girls a heroine that they could see themselves in realistically. Mm. Well, that's so interesting, because I talk a lot about superpowers on the Well Woman show. And um, to me, superpowers are things that we all have access to all the time, but we just don't necessarily activate them or, or use them. And so, you know, it, it's not having like, you know, magical bracelets or, or a lasso of truth, although I, I would love to have a lasso of truth. I, I also <laughs> <laughs> get a two for get me one of those if you're getting them. Yeah. But, um, but the superpowers I talk about are, much more about um, sort of internal, um, you know, things that we can cultivate, like deep awareness and intuition and ability to take action when we need to and, and those kinds of things. Right, right. And I think that's, you know, there are a couple situations that come to mind specifically in the book where my heroine is put into situations where she does kind of have to pull on that inner fortitude and be different from other people you know everybody who's going on there's one scene I know where her her kind of cooler cousin is trying to goad her into drinking and all the other kids are, are doing it and it's just you know she really has to stay true to herself and I think that in and of itself it, like you said is a superpower we have capabilities to to achieve and of course just resisting this the lure of alcohol is not a, an amazing achievement though for some it is but I mean she does amazing things in the book 
just pulling on her own capacities, you know, that she is, like you say, cultivating and, and drawing from her own self. Okay. And you also talk about sort of the original purpose behind telling fairy tales. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that that's very compelling to me because I don't, I, I've always been fascinated by fairy lore, but I don't identify with kind of, I guess I would call it like the Hollywood version of a fairy. You know, I, I, when I think of fairies, I don't think of Tinkerbell and I don't think of pixie dust and cute little things that, you know, are appearing as, as alongside a fairy godmother. I, I was always drawn to the kind of darker original fay lore of like, you know, the grim tales and all that business. I mean, because the originally fairy tales really were crafted as a way, you know, to keep children out of the woods because back in the day there were real dangers there to be had. And so these tales were crafted because a child could go out into the woods and lose their life ultimately. And granted there weren't, it wasn't because the the woods were teeming with changelings, but you know, these were, these were crafted tales to really keep kids safe. And, and I kind of miss that throwback era of this, these dark kind of bestial fairies. And also to me, it has another layer of meaning of the wildness, you know, I mean, we're so homogenized that I feel like we've kind of forgotten about the wildness of the wild because we've in, in essence, we've kind of tamed it and it doesn't scare us as much anymore because we've always got a GPS or a park guide or something to get us back home. But I wanted to draw back to that original, very bestial, wild image of a fairy and, and kind of cultivate that in this series, which is, is what I hopefully did. Okay. And how important is it to you to have, um, you know, these realistic kind of role models, right? For, for young readers, for your young readers? I, for me, it is very important. You know, I guess I just, I, I, I just feel like I said, I feel like the women that are, and girls that are out there reading these things, I want them to identify and I want them to feel empowered by what they have at their disposal. Not, you know, that I need something else that I need, like you said, a magical bracelet or or whatever to enhance me to a point where I can achieve things because it's really in me. And, and, you know, cause they're never going to wander across that stuff as, as fantastical as my mind can get. And as far as my imagination can go, I don't think any one of the girls reading my book is going to, you know, like I said, get rescued by a sparkly vampire or anything of that nature. So just to know that she can be who she is, and that is, and and make herself better and make herself achieve amazing things without some external force giving her a power to me is very important. Yeah, wow, that's so in line with what I talk about on my show. You know, so it's like, we've got a similar message, but delivering it in different ways, like you're writing these books. And um, have you heard back from young adults, young women, about the impact of your books on them? Yes and no. I mean, it's, I I love connecting with fans. I mean, it's the biggest high for me that to have someone and I I actually recently had a gal who did a blog and she pulled her 10 year old daughter in with it who had read the book and had some very positive messages to share. And, you know, I think short of standing next to one and saying, did you feel empowered by it? It's hard to get that specific feedback. But, um, you know, I I have gotten loads of, of positivity about people getting passionate about it. And I think that's when they identify really strongly with the character and they, they move with her and feel with her 
I think that that kind of shows them, I, you know, by part and parcel that they are connecting and they are getting that message because they do identify so much with her because she is a real everyday girl. Mm. And so personally for you as, as the author of these books, um, are, are the characters reflective of, of you and your life? You know, I was asked something similar to that recently, and they really aren't. I didn't draw in a specific friendship or anything like that to craft these girls because my characters are very organic. They kind of do their own thing. Um, these girls evolved, like, as, as much as I want to empower girls, I want to empower my characters, I guess, if that, you know, I guess this comes from someone who has imaginary friends speaking, but my characters, I, a lot of times I'll make a rough outline and then let my characters take the story. And as these girls became themselves and, and then they evolved as themselves, they kind of took the reins of the story and they, they weren't some, you know, ghost of a memory that I had or replicating some experience that I had because they took the reins and they drove, drove the story. They're very much their own girls, very much their own people. Mm. Okay. And you actually, um, came to be a writer in a, a pretty traditional way, it looks like, uh, but maybe you can elaborate on that. You actually studied professional writing and you pursued um, professional writing as a career. Was it? Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sure it wasn't as straightforward as that. <laughs> can, you, can, <laughs> you, can you help listeners understand sort of like, how did you, you know, become a writer? Yeah, it was more of a meandering path than a straight line. I mean, you know, I actually set out in college in the wildlife biology uh, niche. That's what I wanted to do. I started up with chemistry and biology. And oh, my stars, I failed miserably at it. I'm like so bad at, at recalling facts and regurgitating cell parts and things of that nature. And I've always, I mean, I popped out of the womb with a pen in my hand. That's always been my draw. And I just always naturally drifted there. And no matter how much I wanted to force myself in a certain direction, my heart had always lied with the arts and with literature. So I did pursue that. However, you know, I mean, there, there aren't, you know, there aren't really a lot of writing careers that are going to give you a steady, reliable income in the creative side of it. So I did try and force myself into, you know, pursuing journalism and, and tech writing and things of that nature. And it just absolutely crushed me. It, 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 I couldn't do it. I couldn't just be a regurgitator of facts. I, I can't. Lies are just too delicious. I always wanted to put my spin on it. And that makes me not a good fit, you know, for that kind of profession. So I actually, despite my degree being in writing, I went into several other fields. Um, and but ultimately kind of worked myself, my husband and I, we've been married 20 years. And from the get go, my goal was to be absolutely debt free and mortgage free. So we've been flipping and building houses for the past 20 years, all to get to this point where I would be 100% debt free you know, built our final home with cash um, so that I could pursue writing full time and retire from the quote unquote day job. So I do do it full time now, but I, I, you know, as far as like gainful employment, I never could force myself into the right channel of it to make gainful employment. But now, you know, you get yourself into the right financial position and it's, you know, the finance end of it isn't as big a deal. So what do you think, um, what was what were some of the key like takeaways if you had to do it all over again or or you know if you had to mentor a young, another writer what would you say are some of the most important decisions and sort of crossroads where you had to make a major decision that led you to becoming a successful author 
Well, I would say don't quit the day job and have a backup. I mean, it's, I guess it, writing is, it's like, it's in a way, it's kind of like a monkey on your back because it, it, if it's truly in you, if it's truly in down to your marrow, you can't not do it. And it wakes you up in the middle of the night. It's like a screaming child. I mean, it wants to, it wants your attention and you have to keep doing it. Now, and now I've been queried by several people that want to go into writing and maybe don't have that kind of a passion for it. And for those people, I would advise them not to because it's not an easy field and it's not necessarily a lucrative field. Um, but for those that absolutely cannot not do it. Um, I would say, you know, I, I, I personally probably would have gone a different way with my schooling because my, my degree, you know, it's an arts degree and it's not easy to go out and get a job with that. And so I kind of was forced into other fields that maybe I didn't even involve the arts. Um, and I probably would have went a more traditional route whilst straddling my writing. You know, I mean, you really, nobody's going to walk out of the gate for the most part. I mean, with a very small percentage, just, you know, selling a best-selling novel and they've got all this money and, you know, a Mike and Molly version of things of just going off to a writing conference and selling your book for tens of thousands of dollars. That just is not the normal path. So I would say, you know, if you just can't shake it and it's down deep in you, yes, you can learn a lot from, from creative writing classes and things of that nature, but a lot of it's just experience and continuing to write and being committed to it. So, you know, I would say continue to massage and, and, and perfect your writing whilst doing the day job and, and try and make it that way. Because a lot of it and pe different people learn in different ways. I have trouble absorbing things as far as like a schooling aspect of it. I'd say my experiences in the writing world and just continuing to write and trying to perfect myself have done more for me than the traditional schooling did, honestly. Hmm, interesting. And so, um, at what point, like, do you have an agent? How do you, how do you work with publishers? God, I wish I had an agent. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I always make these jokes about, you know, on, on, I, I'm very active on Twitter about how difficult agents actually are to get. And I mean, I've tried, I've been at this trying to get an agent for 15 years. I, I, I ended up being published through a small indie publisher. Um, and that publisher, uh, one of the, the upper end, fellows at that publishing house took off on his own, did his own house. And I went with him and he's published some of my books, but, um, it's a hard road. And that's part of why I say I discourage someone who's not very passionate about it because getting an agent, getting a publisher, it, it feels at many times next to impossible. And there are a lot of people wanting to do it, you know, with the boom in the self publishing industry, I don't want to say everybody wants to write a book and be a writer, but there are a lot of them out there and everybody wants the same thing. And it's almost like competing at American Idol or something, you know, it's like everybody wants this one spot and there's all these people lined up that are bending over backwards to try and get it. So it can be a very difficult road and, and just being published doesn't mean you're a successful author. I, I remember doing a trade show, a Comic-Con with a gal and she had like 15 books published and I was just aghast at how successful she was. And she said, I don't consider myself successful. These are all small books with small houses and I really don't make any money off of. So it's, you know, it, just the holy grail of being published doesn't even mean that you necessarily are, are bringing it in hand over fist. It's, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's a difficult road and you really, really have to want it and just have it be to the point where it won't leave you alone and you have to do it. Mm. Okay. And Christine, we're going into a segment called Superpowers for Success. 
And the first question I want to ask you is, what does success in life mean for you? Being happy. That absolutely is the end all be all of it. I mean, I don't care what you have. As long as you're happy with what you have, I consider you successful. I don't care, you know, if you work in a high rise or have a mansion or you live in a single wide trailer and work at Arby's. If you're happy, I think you're successful. Well, that's one of those things that a lot of people don't, you know, they don't identify that they're happy or they have everything that they thought would make them happy and then they're still not happy and precisely um, yeah and it takes a lot of self-awareness to actually first of all admit that oh my gosh this is not you know this this is not the life that I wanted I need to you know do something else or I think it's just it's way more complicated isn't it it is I mean I you know I was I had a pretty well-paying job here a few years back and my husband and I had got like our dream house we lived in this beautiful huge log house on five acres gorgeous and I had a dependable job good job I mean good job and and I thought is this making me happy and I thought, you know, I just, I want to be more serious about my writing. I don't care about this dream house that I've been pining for all these years. I don't care about these things. And we, we sold the house and I quit my job and now I do this full time and I live in a little, little cottage, you know, and, and it's a tiny little house and it's just got everything I need. It doesn't, you know, I don't, I didn't need the big lofted beams and ceilings and rooms and it was just more to take care of. And I didn't, why was I getting up and going into this job every day, you know, that wasn't fulfilling me. And now I do this full time and I live in this little peapot cottage and I'm happy as a clam, you know? So I think it's, and it's okay to say that, to go like, yeah, this is, I want to change gears. This isn't making me happy. As long as you get to the happy, then you're successful. Yes, that's, that's right. I think it takes a lot for people to, recognize that and then kind of admit that they need to make a shift and that it wasn't, you know, that they, cause people still feel like, Oh, I've gone this far. I, I'm, you know, to, to change now, like would be so hard and, and really you just have to uh, do it. You just because, have to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, why be miserable? I think I always think like I should have done that sooner. I'm, you know, I'm a cautious person, but I also take risks and I also feel like I, I am kind of good at pinning things down and going, okay, this isn't making me happy. I'm going to do this. So it's, you know, but it, it is hard and it, it, it has a certain stigma, I think, too, because, you know, uh, people, when they would come to my house before, it was like, oh, you've got this big grand house. You've got this great job. Wow, you're successful. And I thought, you know, and I had we had like a lot of entertaining room and it had all like all this different stuff to entertain people. And I thought, you know, I don't care about what the people that come over and visit me think. I care about what's important to me day to day and what I actually need day to day. You know, I didn't even put a dining room in my in my house because I thought I don't the dining table gets stuffed with stuff. I don't care if people think it's weird that I don't have a dining table. I really don't care. I don't need it. I need what I need every day and the basics and I'm happy and that's good, you know, and uh, sometimes it's hard for people to take that step back and go, yeah, I don't really care what, you know, I care what makes me happy, not what you, makes you happy and makes me look good in your eyes. Yes. So the next question I have for you is, when did you know you were really good at what you do? 
I still don't know that. And and I, it's funny, I just was in a discussion with some people on Twitter about that the other day, and they were going on and on about what an amazing writer I am. And we started talking about self-confidence. And I, I think that that's in creative types, I think maybe more pronounced than others because you are so introspective. And a lot of us have a tendency to have a very loud inner critic. So my inner critic's always sitting up here on my shoulder going, you look like a hippo in those gray PJs or you're writing, you know, is, is only as good as the people, you know, who, who are reading it and think it's good and nobody's reading it. And it's not, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I, I don't think I'll ever think that, you know, I, you're constantly, that's, that's kind of the other, my other takeaway as far as success goes is someone's always going to have something better than you. You know, whether I'm in a half million dollar house, someone out there has a million dollar house, you know, why is, what's the purpose in keeping up airs and, and putting on a show, someone's always going to be better than you. And I guess I've kind of in writing accepted that, that someone will always be better than me, but they're also just going to be different than me. So all I can do is be the best me, you know, my style may not be for everyone and that's okay. But I, you know, my inner critic does, (laughs) does have a very loud voice sometimes. Yeah, I love that. There's actually a great quote that I love that uh, Claire Zamet, she says, um, there's no competition when the game you're playing is to be yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just makes so much sense. Um, Okay. What about describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being? I walk a lot and it's very cathartic to me. I mean, I literally walk probably 10 miles a day. Oh, wow. Um, I, yeah. And, and part of me leaving my job is I get to do that. I live in this beautiful forest community. It's just trees as far as the eye can see. And I just walk through there and it it is very therapeutic to me. And I do it religiously rain or shine, no matter what, every single day of the week. And it brings me a lot of peace. Mm. Okay. And what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? That's a hard one. Um, (laughs) I guess maybe my ability to accept my own peculiarity. Um, I grew up kind of a very beleaguered sort of kid and was picked on. And for a long, long time, I was felt like I was forever trying to fit in. And I think as I've gotten older, I've been able to accept myself. And to me, that's a very important thing. It's become very essential to my well-being as an adult because I, you know, when you're constantly trying to fit into a mold that you don't fit into, it's a torturous existence. And I don't deal with that anymore. And I never really thought I would get to that place. I was always so concerned about fitting in with the other girls. And God, I remember my hair is like black as a raven. And in school, I got called a witch because I'm very pale at the same time. And I wanted so desperately to be like the blonde girls, the cool girls, the cheerleaders that I dumped two boxes of blonde dye into my hair and it came out orange as a nectarine. It was hideous. Oh no! And then I was so self-conscious about it that it, I mean, it was like straw too. Cause I mean, I had to dump that stuff in there to get any kind of a color. And, and then I was so self-conscious. I was too self-conscious to set it off, cut it off because I was like Samson, you know, the hair was like my security blanket and I just suffered. I suffered with it and people teased me about it. And then I was too self-conscious to cut it off. And it was just like a torturous existence. And I don't deal with that anymore because you know what, my hair is dark, I'm pale. So what, you know, if you don't like it, move along. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't like to create tension with anyone. And I usually don't comment, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't cut me anymore. It doesn't cut at me because I'm just me and I'll just be the best me I can be. And I'm not like you. And that's perfectly okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what advice would you give your younger self like 10 or 15 years ago? Um, I, I guess that, you know, in a nutshell, to be more accepting of yourself, because I think I spent a lot of years being miserable when I didn't need to be kind of like the same scenario we're talking about with having thinking you have everything when you don't really have anything, you know, and, and, and not just being okay with who you are and needing to live up, up to others <clears throat> expectations. I think it, it's very freeing to let that go. And I wish I would have done it all the sooner. And Christine, do you identify as a feminist? I wouldn't say so. I, you know, I'm, I'm not super duper big into labels and I don't, you know, it's kind of like a political thing. Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? I always have views. I feel like that kind of straddle both sides. I kind of, I kind of see it as my musical taste. You know, someone will ask you what kind of music you like. Well, I'll listen to good blues. I'll listen to good pop. I'll listen to a good country song. I'll listen to anything because I, I, I guess I never like consider myself this or that because I, I don't really close my mind off to one thing. I like to have an open mind about looking at everybody's perspective. So I, I don't tend to label myself as a feminist particularly, no. Okay. And what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Lots of tweets. <laughs> I, I've been, uh, I've been putting together kind of an assemblage of different tweets that I do. And I'm always kind of revisiting those and trying to get story ideas um, honestly, I immerse myself mostly in my writing because I, 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 I don't know, you know, a lot of, I find a lot of writers, they'll read other writers and then whether they're knowing they're doing it or not, they're emulating those writers. And I don't like to do that. Um, so I kind of stick to my own stuff, to be honest. I, I, I try and perfect my stuff rather than looking at what other people are doing. Yeah. Well, Christine, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been really fun talking with you. I appreciate it. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.